Today, we're talking to Olivia Trimble of Fayetteville, Arkansas. She received national attention for her Repaint Hate campaign, which replaced racist graffiti with hopeful messages. And this was after the 2016 election. And of course, you know, hateful rhetoric and behavior has certainly not abated, but she certainly is doing her part. She's a sign painter and paints murals, is a general great gal about town, a little bit of a rabble rouser, I think. And she'll say that there are people who don't like her, but you know, well-behaved women never make history, right? Someone said that. I'll, I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. So she also ran for Fayetteville City Council and she did lose that race, but she had a good experience running the campaign, which she had never done before. So you'll get to hear about that and how her family helped her and uh, what she plans to do in the future. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. And as you join drive around Northwest Arkansas, uh, you might see her work. So enjoy. What I was thinking we would talk about was just, I just want to get to know you a little bit and talk about, I read a story recently, I don't know if it was something you posted, but basically about your, how you got into sign making, sign painting. But I also want, I first became aware of you when you were repainting hate. And so I definitely want to talk about that. And then I want to talk about what compelled you to run for office and the race and kind of, kind of all of that stuff. So that's really about as specific as I have in mind. And we'll just go where it takes us. Cool. That sounds great. So where are you from? I am from Fayetteville, Arkansas. I have, have lived in my, my neighborhood since I was seven. I live one street over from my childhood home. So Wow, I'm like super in love with and invested in uh, in my side of town. So you you never had that kind of urge to get out of your hometown and be in other places. Uh, yeah, not really. I mean, I moved to Jonesboro briefly and ended up coming home with a with a baby and a boyfriend. So the See what happens when you go to Jonesboro. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's, you know, run of the mill. <laughs> <laughs> so are you close with your family? Is that is that part of what keeps you keeps your heart in Fayetteville? Yeah, um, I'm close with my family. The concept of home is just something that um, it took me a long time to realize that I'm a homebody. Mm-hmm. And that, like, I view my city as, you know, as a city with roads and buildings and whatever, but as a city that's, like, alive because of relationships that I have mm-hmm. or because of progress that I get to watch or, you know, other people's successes that, you know, are incredible um, and exciting. It's just there are so many things that, that, I mean, this is so nerdy, but I'm super in love with my city. And, and it's hard to like nail down one reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it almost you're making me think of um, for the first time ever of a city or a town as this sort of living, breathing thing that is not just a, a place made up of like you said streets and buildings, lawns, whatever. But it really is made up of the people who inhabit it and the yeah. feeling, like its aura almost. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I'm lucky because I have lived here forever, but I can drive wherever and know that, you know, um, this is property that Melissa bought from these people who had a farm here for a hundred years. And this is where an old grocery store used to be. And now it's a doctor's office and diner. And it's like, I don't know. I just love knowing like how people have left an imprint or how they are, you know, currently, um, 
using or improving a space. It's just, I don't know, it's exciting to me. So do you, do you think of it as you get nostalgic for the olden days or do you prefer the, the, the changes in the evolution or a combination? It's a combination. Not every improvement or update that happens is the best or maybe the right thing. Progress is inevitable. And generally, my concerns are, I mean, these are like my big concerns really when it comes to city or service, like ways that I can be of service are, do people have a place to live? Can they afford it? Can they walk or bike to a place to get food? I mean, those are kind of my I guess my, my biggest concern. So when, when I'm feeling nostalgic about something, oftentimes, you know, I can look at the benefits that we have housing that people who have taken a non-traditional path, you know, we live in a college town, so everyone has a degree, but sometimes we need housing for people who haven't gone for a master's and landed a sweet job, you know, somewhere. Mm-hmm. We need housing for people like me and my family. We need housing for people who would like to age in place, you know? Mm-hmm homes that are small for older people. It's just, it's it's a weird combo for me. Like I like watching change and I also like honoring the history um, that we've had. Yeah. And those, that those don't always go. No, they don't always, that is not always the they don't always history. go that. Yeah. Um, and sometimes the history is not bright and shiny and that still needs to be talked about and kept part of the conversation. So yeah, so. it's interesting living in a place where things are rapidly changing. They really are. And I go up there I don't know, every couple of months probably. And it's fun to go there. You know, I live in Little Rock and I love Little Rock. Um, it's a very different place, obviously. But I love going to Northwest Arkansas. I love going to the museum and seeing what's happening. But I, I recognize too that there are growing pains and that it's becoming more diverse in a lot of ways. And, and politically, it's changing some. And it's, it's interesting to watch that because it feels uncomfortable. Um, yeah, but I think it's going to have to be painful before everyone finds a way to move forward, hopefully together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Um, so I love Little Rock. It's like my like my second favorite place. Um, and I don't ever get down there enough. You know, the things that we're facing in Fayetteville, we have an affordable an affordability crisis. There mm-hmm. is not enough housing and it is not affordable housing by any means. And we have, you know, all of these incentives from our from our benefactors to bring in the best and the brightest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as a person who's lived here forever, who is a tradesperson, I've taken a non-traditional path in my life. I think an important thing that should be advocated for is is like finding this balance of we're rapidly growing and how do we make sure that we take everyone with us. Have you figured out how to do that? <laughs> I don't think anyone has yet. I don't either. Uh, I did some. Um, I did some work uh, with some people who are smarter than I am about housing uh, with the Fayetteville Housing Authority over the last 18 months to two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did figure out that replacing a board and replacing an executive director in that situation breathed new life and imagination um, into, you know, like a housing authority. That doesn't sound like a place where things are innovative or bold or exciting. And I think a lot of times like plugging the right people in who are like really passionate and fired up about finding solutions. That's like a, that's like a quick and easy thing to mm-hmm. to try out versus trying to shift an entire housing market. And sometimes, you know, we get really stuck in our in our ways, right? And and I'm a lawyer, so all we do is everything we do is based on precedent and how we've always done it. And so yeah. it can be really hard to kind of get out of 
what we know, even if yes. we know it's not working. But it's it's a scary thing to get some, you know, whippersnapper into the, you know, housing board who's going to shake things up because it's like, well, that sounds scary. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and in this case, it was, um, you know, the, the board was mostly male. And with the update, these are women who have been working in the community for a long time, um, who some work with food recovery, some work with services for people experiencing homelessness. So it was exciting. It was just it was exciting to see. Well, how did you get involved in that? Well, uh, it's so silly. Um, a friend of mine who was kind of on the opposite side of the issue that I am on now asked me to go to a meeting. And so I went and a person who is now one of my closest friends was there. And she was pointing out like, hey, this system is flawed. Like we're missing these opportunities, X, Y, and Z. And in that meeting, I ended up gaining a new perspective and developing what would later become a close friendship. And so this whole situation was so eye-opening because it took one person to ask me to come to the table and get involved. And that involvement, it really sparked like this knowledge and then passion about the fact that a resident here in Fayetteville who, you know, like I don't have a background in housing policy. But I was able to get involved and then to advocate. And then we got to see this huge shift, shift in, shift in leadership, shift in the way that we were. The whole thing's crazy. It's like going to take so long to explain the housing authority situation. But essentially, we had a weird land sale that was not legit that would displace residents from a historic neighborhood. And the shakeup kept people in place, found funding to renovate instead of, you know, knock down and replace with market rate homes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was just, I don't know, it was just like so cool to see that a regular person can get involved in something that has, you know, red flags flying. Like I've been involved in in a number of um, of issues in my city, but this was like the first one where it was like, dang, that was citizen-led. Right. You know, I want everyone to be civically engaged. And I mean, I'm not out there every day doing stuff that I probably should be doing because, God, you got to live, right? But um, I do wish that people understood better that they can make a difference. And it doesn't mean that they need to lead a whole campaign or do anything like that. But, you know, I think a lot of what gets legislated happens because no one says they don't like what their legislators or, or the people in power are doing. Does that make sense? Yes, that I think absolutely that, makes sense. And I think people just don't hear from us. Yeah, they don't hear from us. And, you know, um, I think a good friend of mine, Marty Maxwell Lane, posted on Facebook just a day or two ago asking our elected officials, you know, that that are engaged on Facebook and, and are essentially friends. Do you want to hear from your constituents when when we agree with you? And it was interesting mm. to see those answers where they were like, yes, we do want to hear from you. Maybe you have a different perspective or a different reason why this action is good or why it needs to be tweaked or why one part's okay. And I think that it can be scary for people to jump in. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time. And I also suffer from imposter syndrome. But mm -hmm. I'll say, well, I don't like they don't want to hear from me. I don't know anything. Right. But like I do. <laughs> right. And I'm sure that like the other people who are having thoughts about whatever the issue might be, issue at hand might be. They probably know something, too, and something that 
their council member or state rep or senator or congressperson or whatever, it's scary to jump in, but it's super important. Does that make you feel engaged? It does. And I think that I am very privileged in that I am not the sole earner in my home and I'm a sign painter and muralist, so I can make my own schedule. So the road that works for me, which is going to meetings and dragging my kids with me and, you know, hitting up things that are during the workday, I'm lucky to get to do that. And because I have that flexibility, that's the way that I choose to be engaged. But I think it's very important for people to recognize what their limits are mm-hmm. and what their skill set or expertise or passion is and to just use what's available. I don't think that everyone should break their necks trying to go to different meetings within their cities. I mean, if they want to, they totally should. But it's not a requirement. No, and I I think that that mind frame alone um, can often... Uh, make people so uncomfortable that they just won't go for it at all. I'm not a big fan of public speaking. I mean, I do it, but it's usually about things that I at least know kind of what I'm talking about. But I know whenever I have thought about going to a city board meeting because I was not happy about something that they were considering or whatever, the thought of getting up to that podium to speak in front of people terrified me. And I think that that (laughs) has kept me from doing things like that because I have got opinions and I am not afraid to share them. But just the idea of, like you said, you have imposter syndrome. I think most women do. I'm like, well, what the hell do I know? You know, what do I know about commercial zoning? Nothing. I just know that I don't want this thing in my neighborhood or, you know, whatever it is. Or the chief of police. I mean, where Little Rock is now looking for one. And I have some pretty strong feelings about policing in Little Rock, but I don't know about law enforcement. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, well, how do I, how can I contribute to this search and put my two cents in Because I know I didn't like the last guy. Well, so maybe you don't know as much about law enforcement as your city representatives who have been given a crash course Mm -hmm. on law enforcement. But you do know about your community. You know about what was not right with the last person in that Mm -hmm. seat. You know about the needs of the people who will be served by law enforcement. So like if you were to stand up and give remarks, they would have value that maybe would not otherwise be heard. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, weird. it's a hard it. thing to pump yeah. yourself up for. Right. right. I can go to court all day long. I don't know. It's just a weird thing that I, that I have. And, and I feel like, and I'm an outgoing person. And so if I have it, I know it makes other people nervous as well. Oh my and gosh. I respect people like you who just get out there and do it. <laughs> Well, listen, it's horrible when I get up there and do it. There there were times over the last year, this is some TMI, but I, I think people might identify or not. But there would be times where I would have two different meetings that were both pretty important and they were things that I really felt like I should speak at each one. I do public speaking. I am a loud person who will, you know, hey girl, anybody like, hey girl, how's it going? You know, mm-hmm. but those meetings where I would be back to back. I would be sh- I would be showing up at City Hall all fresh and lovely and clean. And the first time that I spoke, the anxiety and the anxiety sweating that would happen would be mm-hmm. pretty gross. And I'd get up there and say whatever I have to say. And general- generally, the people I'd be speaking to, I would know and have a nice relationship with. And the people in the audience, there were a couple of times where I was the sole voice of dissent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by, you know, by the second meeting, after I'd spoken there, it would be like, I'm disgusting, like I have run a marathon and I am not a runner. 
Um, so like, you know, it's, it's never great. And I, I looked back on some of the, the remarks that I gave on tape and you couldn't see that I was shaking and disgusting mm-hmm. and like my voice and like, I thought it was just like wavering so much. So all that is to say, like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like you might be freaked out and weird, but no one's going to know. Yeah. Because everyone's freaked out and weird. That's always the truth. It always is. And we're harder on ourselves than anyone else usually. So, yeah. Like no one ever even remember. I can't even remember from a meeting like, oh, that person sounded freaked out. No No one cares. (laughs) No, it's true. (laughs) Said every speech teacher ever. Um, So. All right. Well, let me back up a little bit because, because I feel like just from watching you from afar, that that experience with the, you know, the housing board kind of was a perfect segue into you running for office. Yeah. But so, before I get there, well, we can go ahead and talk about that now. No, 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 no. Let's let's rewind. I'm terrible about taking weird paths away oh, no. from what we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> no, me too. But I just want to I want to know a little bit more about your background just to give, you know, your, your current self a little more perspective. And I guess in particular, I'm interested in your um, painting hate. Is that what it's yeah. called? Yeah. So it's, it was called repaint hate. Repaint hate. Yes. So um, I'll give you that, like the quick rundown of it. Um, yet another thing sparked by Facebook, embarrassingly enough. Um, so in November of 2016, Right after the election, uh, a friend posted a photo of um, some graffiti that had been tagged on a building that was condemned uh, across the street from our public library. And it had the N-word on it. And it was super hateful. And it just, like, set me set me on fire. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know how much I thought about it. I think I thought about it enough. I had a car full of paint. I am a painter. I am a lower middle class white lady, and I felt like I may as well go use this privilege that I have to go probably illegally paint over this graffiti, right? Like, you know, it's it's still like vandalism if you vandalize over someone's stuff. <laughs> right, right. But <laughs> like, we could not have that out there for kids and residents, and like that's awful. We're not have we're not having that. I understand that we live in Arkansas. And, like, maybe the bar is a lot lower than it should be. But, like, that's pretty basic. We can't have this hanging out here. Um, We don't have to stand for it. Yeah. I mean, so I use the skills and privilege that I have to trot on out there and paint over it. And in retrospect, I should have taken an hour or two to do a nice design and layout and paint it. Because it turned into a big deal. So over that hate speech, I just, uh, I painted it, I think, hot pink. I had just some like ugly pink paint in my car. I rolled it on. And then I sprayed, spray painted in aqua. Uh, I think, I don't think I'm inverting these colors. It said, love always wins. Yes, I remember. Um, And so I like, you know, went and posted it. And I was like, this is infuriating. I had to cover it up. And it got a whole lot of attention. Like... A lot. Was it all positive? Yeah, it was mostly positive. I did not read the comments. Um, I I know that there were some people who didn't like it, but honestly, like, if you're not okay with that, uh, you know, who cares? Yeah, right. Um, During my campaign, I did have someone who thought they were very, you know, edgy for this idea that they didn't want an an elected representative who would break the law in any way. And I was like, well, you know what? I did, I totally probably did, but I documented it and I don't know. 
So I've, I've only had a few negative comments, and that mm-hmm. one was probably legit. But, you know, you just can't have well, that building. Well, you know, I think that kind of goes back to this, these ethical questions of, well, do you steal a loaf of bread to, to feed your children? You know, you're, yeah. yeah, you're breaking the law, but you're, you've got to feed your children, right? I mean, so, you know, and I'm, there are people who have different opinions, obviously, but I yeah. and ultimately break the law in a positive way than in the way that it was done originally. Right. And, and the response that I got from the city and from our own police department, it was positive and kind and grateful. Um, what did you so, hear from them? They were just like, thanks for covering this up. That's awful. And so essentially um, this situation, I also gained my best friend uh, because she saw what had happened and she is an attorney here. And she was like, hey, FYI, like I'm here if you need me. And should you do this again, here are some things that you might keep in mind. And so I had so much, so much support and it was great. And then, you know, people loaned me walls to paint a couple of murals on and I got hired for some more. And it became a thing where taking this one step with the skills that I had allowed me to, to do more. It, it was kind of like a, like a jumping off point. Like, okay, I got to paint that. Now, you know, I have people call me if something that's not hateful, but maybe crass is painted on the wall. Like if, if there's a pot leaf that gets like painted on a bathroom stall, I'm not your person to call for that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but there, there was a time early, earlier, uh, well, I guess uh, in, in 2018, um, where someone had painted some pretty bad slurs and some swastikas on the back of a school that backed up to a neighborhood. Uh, and one of the residents called me and it was like a Sunday. So, you know, like the public school and maintenance crew wasn't going to be available till the next day. And so I just like very quickly, it was really cold and very quickly just like painted over what was there and then just like sprayed be good on it and then took <laughs> off and, you know, emailed um, my friend on the school board and was like, hey, just want to <laughs> let you know I did this. Here's the documentation, photos before and after. Wanted to get that covered up. <laughs> Uh, so, so is this what led to your current, I guess, success? I don't know what that means to you, but um, all your jobs in sign painting? I mean, like, is I that, think that, is that it, built your business? I think it got me in front of some people and, you know, the, the folks who said, hey, we have a wall if you want to paint it. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds great. I think that, that those steps, like, absolutely contributed to the projects that I get to do and the, um, you know, maybe it makes the community more familiar with me. So sometimes I'll be going to something that's not art related and uh, maybe there are people there that I haven't met and they they are familiar with, you know, that action that I took. And, and really, it's a weird thing to talk about painting over this, right? Because like I did it real fast and it cost me nothing. And I just used the skill set that I have and it was kind of a no brainer. Like... I don't know. I kind of feel like it wasn't that big of a deal. But then I stopped myself because it was a big deal in that it inspired other people to use the skills that they have to when they see something or are informed about something that is not right. And this can be anything. This is not this is not specific to hate speech being tagged on a building or written in Sharpie or whatever. Mm-hmm. It kind of gave me um a platform and maybe um, the knowledge 
to encourage other people to use the skills that they have to help others or to, to, you know, when you see something, say something. If you Mm -hmm. take action, if, you know, if you're in the position to do so, like, do that. Yeah. Do you think that we uh, tend to just think that someone else is handling it? Someone else is taking care of that racism or whatever, misogyny and... Yeah, I I do think so. And I also think that sometimes I, I, I deal with this all the time, you know, oh, I have, I've acknowledged that this thing is wrong. And I don't know if anyone's going to fix it, but I probably don't know how. Most of the time, I bet people who do notice something that's not right, I bet they, I bet they, they can, if they have a skill set to apply, like, I bet that they can do it. You're making me think of several conversations I've had recently about white people in positions of relative privilege. And they know that there is a problem with diversity, inclusion, and that kind of thing, but they don't really know what to do. And so what you just said makes me think of that conversation. And here you and I are, these white women, you know, having this conversation. I have also had it with black friends, but it's something I think about all the time because I have found myself in a situation before where I've said, oh my God, I've seen this injustice. What do I do, black people? And they'll say, uh, you know what to do. And I'm like, right. Yeah. And that's a weird thing, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because you want to, you want to look for guidance and there it's, it's something that we all have to really, um, take a moment to think about. So, Oftentimes, like what I did, I can totally jump up and cover that up, right? But it's not always appropriate for me as a white woman to try to guide a conversation on diversity and racism when maybe there's someone, a person of color, who who wants to and should lead that conversation, right? Right. So it's it's a weird thing. So there's that to consider, but there's also the um the fact that it, it's totally not not a person of color's job to educate a white woman on what to do. Like there are books right. and blogs right. and TED talks and like right. talks that we can have with our friends to, to kind of suss out um, and process things. And it's also, you know, like I don't need some man coming to ask me how to fix sexism. Right. You know, like <laughs> I'm like, Please figure that out with your friends or read a book or a talk. And that's exactly what I think when I get, I don't want to say offended um, because I I don't, I've I've evolved on that. I don't get offended. I'm just like, huh, why are you annoyed, Stephanie? Because you think the same thing about men when they claim to not know what to do about sexism. So I, I take your point exactly. And I have to remind myself of that. Yeah. And it's something, you know, I think that as we have conversations and as we progress and as we kind of come to terms with the fact for for me, something that's just been very, you know, something that you have to deal with is if you are trying to make a positive impact and you are a person of privilege and you are feeling discomfort when you're learning about, you know, how do we dismantle these systems of oppression? How do we sit down and listen to to people who really should be guiding those conversations? The thing that sticks with me is that it's gonna be uncomfortable. And that's okay. Right. And so that's something that maybe is not like, that's something that's like, I don't ever like who wants to be uncomfortable? Not me, but that's part of the deal. That's right. (laughs) And especially when you're trying to do the right thing 
and it's painful for you. Yeah. Um, but if it's painful, then there is something wrong. Right. You know, it's like it's like it's like curing an illness. Well, the illness makes you sick and it's right. not comfortable, but you've got to go through that emo or, you know, whatever it is in order to get better. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just um, like the, the things that have been the big takeaways for me in this period of my life. I don't I don't know how to put a time frame on it or that it's OK to be uncomfortable. I don't always have to be the one who's talking because I am a long talker. I have a lot to say all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I say that because me too, not because of you. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, like, it's good to, to, to consider, like, no one expects you to save the world by yourself, nor should you want to do that on your own. But mm-hmm. it's good to, to sit down and think and recognize of ways that um, if you're in the position to get involved in something, to recognize what those ways are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I cannot wait to have, this is on my list of, of topics I want to discuss on this podcast, because I think that there are a lot of conversations similar to this that, that we're not having because it is uncomfortable or because we don't want to offend anyone or we're afraid we'll say something racist or whatever. And, but, you know, unless we, unless we hash it out, I mean, it's, it's just going to take that much longer, I think, to try to, you know, yeah, make the well, world better and fairer for everyone. And, you know, I think it's a hard thing and I don't know who's there yet or not. Um, but it was helpful for me to just sort of, you know, listen to, to people who should be leading these conversations who say like, yeah, because of the privilege and the systems that we have benefited from, most white people probably are racist, not because they're saying like, we hate whatever group, but because we've benefited from these systems and it's our norm to benefit from them. That's right. Um, Without a conscious effort to do so, we were just born into it. Right. And we're perpetuating it because, you know, why would you cede some power? Mm -hmm. You don't just do that unless you are conscious and you think it through and, you know, you get uncomfortable a little bit or a lot of it. It's a process. um, And it's something that, it's hard to talk about and it's super scary to talk about, but it's really important. The most important probably <laughs> right now. I think so. I think so. Yeah, for sure. Right now. Okay. So getting back to the sign making, so, um, yeah, were you, we'll talk about your artistic background. I mean, cause you, you did not start off wanting to be a sign maker, right? No. So I started out not wanting to do much of anything. I didn't want to go to college and in retrospect, some therapy and some guidance could have really changed that, but there was none. So, you know, I wanted to go to concerts and like chase dudes, which like, please, 18 year old Olivia, let's not like, come on. But uh, that's yeah. what I was to do then. And so I just sort of floated around and just did whatever. I got involved with the Craighead County um health department they had a they had a lactation consultant when I had my first daughter mm-hmm. and so that was probably my first time to get involved in like a community sense and so you know I'd like go and like talk to people about breastfeeding and you know so you were a, a guide I was just sort of like counselor. a like a citizen I wasn't a counselor because I, I didn't get hired I just was um, like a volunteer, volunteer like encouraging friend mm-hmm. um 
and with that, I tried to very much balance like, hey, if this is something that you would like to do, let me support you. Mm-hmm. If this is something that you don't want to do, let me support you still, right. you know, because there's a whole onion there of like the expectations of motherhood. Yeah, you know, whatever. I'm not a mom, but I'm well aware of those. I just haven't yeah. accepted the repercussions of them. Yeah. I mean, like this is like such an offset, but every time a friend of mine or a person that I encounter is is pregnant or is talking about motherhood or whatever, like I try really hard to just be like all of this stuff that everyone's flipped out about doesn't matter. Yeah. Like the only thing that matters is that your mental health is okay yeah. and that your child has their, their basic needs met. Like right. don't be freaking out about cloth diapers. Like right. don't be freaking out about these things because once you have an older child, you don't even remember. Anyway, the pressures of motherhood, that's a whole other thing. But so going back, to, I was 21. I had uh, my first child and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I kind of, Left around, floated around, started working. Um, when I moved back to Fayetteville from Jonesboro, started working with with people who are makers uh, and some friends who are artists. And because I, because my stepdad is a sign painter, I, you know, while watching my friends do craft shows and stuff, I was like, well, I want to paint some Pinteresty signs, some real mm-hmm. crafty stuff. I think like Barnwood. Remember that trend? Yeah, I do. Still going. I don't think it's over. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I started off painting some barnwood signs and people liked them. And then around the same time, I bought my stepdad a book called The Sign Painter's Book. Very creative title, but it's very effective. The Sign Painter's Book. And it was full of interviews with all of these, these sign painters all around the country. And they weren't like my stepdad, who's like a very clean cut, wholesome person. Mm -hmm. They were more like me, like, they had tattoos and they looked really cool or rough around the edges or painted like real wild stuff. And I was like moved by that. It like kind of sparked something. Well, did you consider yourself an artist when you started doing those Pinterest Oh, no. Projects? Mm-hmm. No. So and in fact, I had, a, I had a fantastic high school art teacher and like my mission in life was to just skip, skip that class. Right. So I am I very much struggle with calling myself an artist because I do not have a formal background. I taught myself how to paint signs. And while um, I have very supportive parents, I was not apprenticed. I was given advice. I found um, one of the people in that book turned out to be a huge supporter and friend. And so she from afar would give advice. and. Um, I just, like, I just said yes a lot. You know, someone would say, hey, do you want to paint this thing? And I'd say, well, okay, yeah, I'd love to do that. And inside, I would have no clue how to do it. And so I'd, you know, go looking for the answer, make a lot of phone calls or wing it. I've done a lot of winging it. And it's almost eight years later, and I'm painting, like, two-story tall buildings, like huge walls. It's incredible. You're so humble. Um I hear you saying you weren't apprentice, you don't have any formal training, you don't like to call yourself an artist, but I, you, you're, you were an artist, you were a sign painter, a, a professional <laughs> yeah. one. I mean, was there any point at which you felt confident in what you were doing and that you trusted yourself to do a good job for the people who were hiring you? 
Well, I mean, even to this day, like I'll walk onto a job site and be like, oh, my God, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. And all the while I'm setting things up and I'm, I'm doing it by the book and I know exactly what I'm doing. So I mentioned earlier that I have imposter syndrome. And right. even though I am a professional sign painter and I have painted as part of the American Made exhibit at Crystal Bridges and I have given a TED talk on <laughs> imposter syndrome, it's something that I still struggle with. So, yes, I am an artist. I have a background that's probably more common than I realize. You know, not everyone goes to art school. Not every amazing artist here in Arkansas has done that. So I have like weirdo struggles that thankfully I get to talk about at therapy. I've been talking about imposter syndrome at therapy for a while. It's getting better. But yeah, there may be, I don't know if there was a definitive moment. There was a time where I was asked to bid on a job where they wanted they specifically wanted me to paint this, all of this stuff for this new multi-use building. And it was really cool. And they gave me a bunch of creative license and then they signed a contract with me. And I used to say that I was in no way qualified to take that contract. I had been told that by some people who were maybe not super nice, mm -hmm. but I was qualified. And so I painted all these signs and... This was the time, the one time that I worked with my stepdad. We painted a brick sign together. And after that, it was like, okay, yeah, I did a big thing. I am a sign painter and I'm qualified. And, you know, my work has value. But I don't really think about that when I roll up to a wall and I'm looking right. at it. And, you know, like, well, what about oh. what about what your your value is, right? So, so have you struggled to figure out how much your time is worth, how much your talent is worth? I mean, I I do in my own work just as a lawyer. I mean, I think because I'm always so self conscious about people's incomes and can they afford it and they need help, and which is not the same thing that. Uh, I'm not saying it's the same situation, but it's like hard for me to even charge people. So, did you ever? Yeah even though my time is fucking valuable and I'm paying off student loans for a law degree, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. I am worth it, but it's really hard for me to put a value on myself. Did you have that issue? Yes. And I think this is something, and I hope I'm not incorrect or off base, but I feel like this is something that as women we struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it's really easy for a man to be like, well, of course my time's valuable. Of course, my ideas are valuable. They're coming out of my mouth. You know, like we've seen that play out so many times. So, yes, I um, I made a point to price. OK, so here in Fayetteville, we have a just a really small group of people who paint signs. And there is one person, their work is incredible and, you know, it's great. But their pricing, it was offensive. It was so low. Like oh. that person was not valuing their work. And as a newcomer coming into the trade, I could have followed that model of just underpricing to like a really just problematic point. Or mm -hmm. I could set the market, right? Like right. this is a trade that no one does. It has a very specific market of people. You know, you can go get a cheap vinyl sign or if you're wanting a hand-painted sign, there's probably a reason. As a woman, it's important for me to, I don't want to be the person who's got the, the lowest bid. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I settled on an hourly that might have been, you know, I, I got conflicting information. Some people said it was high enough, that it wasn't, too, it wasn't high enough, whatever. I got an idea about how to price things. I have been part of a mural group where 
you know, it was a group of people who were super accomplished, but they couldn't land on how to price things. And I was like, well, this is how I do it. You know, there needs to be a per square foot price that you have in your head at least. And then the, the scope of the project can can dictate what it, that really should be, you know. So, yeah, I struggle with it all the time. But I also try to remember that I want other women who I, I don't necessarily I'm not trying to like get everybody to paint signs, but I want other women specifically who are in the arts who are doing, you know, if they're painting murals like, hey, ladies, y'all need to get compensated for your work. Yeah. And. I want there to be a market where people expect to pay a few thousand dollars if they get a mural done on their wall. It's not just something for my pocketbook. It's something that uh, I feel like it's weird to call myself a leader, but because I am like the woman painting signs in Northwest Arkansas, um, I feel like it's important for me to maybe like kind of set the tone for, mm-hmm. for other women so that they'll jump in and get in, in, involved and, you know, not be paying out of their own pocket to provide art for other people to see. Yeah, you know, and I think there's also um, uh, this idea that art should be free, right? And it should be free, but it's like, oh, it's just art. They're just painting, right? So as if it doesn't have the same kind of value as an architect would in designing a building. You right. know, it's, I mean, the arts impact us in ways we we are not aware of. Well, and, and this, I don't know how popular this is, but I'll go ahead and say it. I, you know, we live in Walmart land up mm-hmm. here. And there are quite a few people, myself included, who have a lot of thoughts and reservations and uh, um, maybe sometimes struggle with taking those dollars, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I'm not, <laughs> it's, it's always a challenge um, to talk about this in a way that doesn't have a negative blowback. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, so we live up here and we have corporate corporations that have foundations or will um, spend their money on a a project or in a uh, rejuvenation, right? Mm -hmm. And so there are some people who will not take funding from from these corporations. Um, Because they don't like the corporations. They don't like where that money is coming from. As a corporate citizen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And for me, I, I sort of feel like I will charge a market rate for a project that has corporate funding, right? Mm -hmm. And while I'm charging a market rate like that, it allows me to do a trade or to just charge materials or to work with someone's budget who is is like a small business Mm -hmm. or it's something that they don't have a signed budget at all, but like I love I love them or I love their business and I want to contribute and use the skill set that I have to help them. So when I'm looking at val- my like the value on my time and on my work and on my energy, um, there's a lot that I balance. Like it's hard to say like, you know, my hourly minimum is X. Yet this mom and pop shop would super benefit and look amazing if they had this cool hand painted thing. And I like I know that like my friend who's a lawyer, she's you know, she struggles with that too. She wants to help everyone, mm-hmm. but you got to pay your bills too. Yeah, you, you can't do. help anyone. Yeah. Um, 
So I think we just went off on a crazy tangent. We did. And I could go, I could keep <laughs> talking about that. All right. Okay. And you have how many kids now? I have two kids. I have two little girls. I have Calliope, who is 11. She's in middle school and she's brilliant. And she's, she's got the best taste in music. And she has a better eye for design than I have. Like, she's awesome. And then I have Eleanor. And Eleanor is seven. She's in the second grade. And she is ridiculously smart also. She's a math whiz. So Calliope is creative and she is a bookworm and she can write a story and she's really interested in research and then like talking about her research. But Eleanor is doing math and she's out doing flips on the trampoline and she is a wild woman with a different but also still pretty good taste in music. Um, so I have these these two like fantastic little girls. So I want to talk about your run for office. And then I'm going to also ask you, don't let me forget. I'm going to ask about what you try to show your girls as an example and, and if and how you involve them in these sort of civic issues that are important to you. So, so talk to me about how you made the decision to run for, you ran for the city council, right? I ran for city council. Yes. Well, um, I had, I had thought about running for city council um, for uh, for a couple of years. So our city is divided into wards. That's how we, that's the language that we use mm-hmm. around that. So within my ward in Ward 1, there are two council members. And for the 2018 election cycle, that council member had served for 12 years. She was super active in Arkansas politics. And it, it, she she decided that it was time for her to retire. And this was around the time that we had really gotten some traction with this housing authority um, progress. So I decided that because I am in love with my city and because I was empowered by that that community engagement that came from the invitation to come to that meeting about the housing um the first meeting um i decided that i should do it um it was important to me that a mother of small children who is a tradesperson who has lived and been active in her neighborhood for so long um be in the running so i decided to run for office and did you talk about this woman who was retiring did you talk to her about this at all Yes, Was she a mentor at all? Okay. She she gave such good advice and was super kind. And her former opponent from an election cycle in the past was also running. Mm-hmm. So we were all progress we we're all progressives. So she she gave me some really good guidance, but also like remained very positive about um, the other woman who's running for the same seat. Mm-hmm. So we decided that it was something that I could handle, that my family could handle, that my friends who, you know, would work on the campaign that they could handle and decided to move forward. And it was such a whirlwind. But the thing about my campaign is that I wanted it to be something that was unique, that was um, very much grassroots. And I wanted to make sure that I was. And this could have been to my detriment, but I was not focused so much on fundraising 
and going to um, maybe some of the more sparkly events, but that I was like truly engaged with the people who would be impacted if I were elected by the things I'd be voting on. Mm-hmm. Um, so through the campaign, Calliope and Eleanor and my husband, John, were pretty much with me all the time. I mentioned earlier that I am not the sole earner. So the girls were with me through a lot of it. You know, John would be at work or, you know, a conference or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd have the gals and they very much are used to and often, not always, sometimes interested in um, the different meetings or presentations we'd go to. So, you know, to like to answer your question about like how how this went for the girls and what I wanted them to take away from it, you know, I wanted and still want them to be aware that the expectation I have for them, and that's not necessarily the expectation I have for other people, um, is that they are in, involved and engaged in their community. And it doesn't have to be in the way that I have been, but I want them to know what's going on and I want them to know where they can jump in and what we need, you know, like what our family will be working on. And through the campaign, you know, we got to meet all kinds of people, even people who maybe our politics are not the same. But I mean, like, listen, I didn't go super far all the way, like hanging out with all of the people who are opposite of me. I'm going to keep it really ambiguous. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was interesting to uh, to make new friends and to um, kind of get into the nitty gritty, like not super glamorous parts of how a city works. Canvassing was not my favorite at all. Not a big fan of knocking on someone's door and bothering them. Right. Um, But it's something that we all did together. And like, it was good for the girls to see that, like, hey, these are your neighbors. Go Uh talk to them. Mom will try not to act like a a total weirdo, you know. Um, but no promises. Yeah, I mean, you know, there were some times where I'd be like, you know, like, okay, all right, that was weird. And like Calliope, my 11 year old, would look at me and be like, what is your problem? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. It was, it was exciting. It was interesting. I think it was good for them to, you know, watch something that we stuck with through ups and downs and almost almost tying in the general and then losing in the um, runoff, you know, each, each piece of that process, obviously it was a learning opportunity for me because I have not run for office. It was also like an opportunity for them to see like, this is how we handle a situation. And there were situations within the city council race that were not cool. Can you give me any examples? Well, uh, I had people who threatened me. I had people who vandalized my stuff. I had people who sent out horrific anonymous letters through the mail, uh, lobbying, like lobbying some pretty like wild (laughs) accusations at me. Um, now would this, would this have been from your, uh, supporters of the other, the progressive opponent? I would say that it was less people who were supporting her because they believed in her policies and more that there was a small group of people who very much disliked me, um, who 
kind of saw an opportunity to act bad. Well, do you have any insight um, into that? I mean, because I think that's another thing that women worry about in running for office is the, the negative attacks and us being, um, you know, our choices or lives being examined a lot differently uh, than. Men. Oh, yeah. And I think that's something that I've struggled with how to talk about. I don't want to scare women from running mm-hmm. at all. But the things that you are most afraid of, the hateful person that you haven't thought about in a while, but you know that they're out there or the the soft spot where, you know, it would hurt the most if someone took a shot mm-hmm. like that might happen. It's a possibility. Someone, you know, might know that the best way to hurt you is to bring up something about your appearance or um, I was attacked by people for not having a formal education. I was called dumb. My intelligence was called into question. Um, I was looked down on for being a tradesperson. Um, wow. And like, this is a small group. Like, it's not like I had like hundreds of people who are like, Olivia's an idiot. Maybe they were, but they weren't vocal about it. Um, well, all it takes is know. one to make you feel bad. Yeah. And I think that something that women need to be prepped for is that people are going to be real mean. Mm-hmm. And it might be just like once and it might be prolonged and... You know, the women who ran for offices, you know, higher than council, like, they, I can't even imagine what they have to deal with. It goes so much farther than just don't read the comments. Right. Um, and I think that's just it's just part of the deal. And it sucks. Like, it sucks. But it's part of what you sign up for. It's part of what we sign up for. And I think it's part of something that we should talk about. The more we talk about things that are awful, the more light we shed on them. And hopefully... It starts to change, starts to change. Um, There's hoping. Well, and I would much rather women be prepared for it than to be completely taken by surprise. Right. Had you you prepared yourself at all for that? And how did you deal with it? Well, here's the thing. So my best friend, Autumn Tolbert, attorney Mm -hmm. and political columnist, um, she was with me through the whole election. And the way that I handled it was to be like, hi, what are we doing? I'm freaking out. And I would have someone who was, she was removed from, from the emotions that I was feeling. I would say, hey, okay, let's put it into perspective. You know, let's, let's point at what, here's an example. Up here in Fayetteville, a former editor of the newspaper uh, called into question Nicole Clowney's ability to be a mother and to also serve in Little Rock. Like, what garbage is that? That is some bullshit. Sorry, I shouldn't cuss on your podcast. Oh, no. I'm that is some BS. Okay. So, you know, like, it was really nice to, I mean, it wasn't nice that this happened to Nicole, but it was nice to see that Nicole, who is ridiculously smart and educated and a wonderful mother, like, all of the things. She still got shit on by some old white dude, mm. you know, and like that was such a like great way to put things into perspective. Like this woman who's really blazing some trails. Look at this garbage she has to deal with. Who cares? Mm-hmm. People are haters. Yeah. Um, and so that's where I feel like talking about these things takes away some of the power that, that maybe you, you might feel like someone has when they when they take action or say something that's like unkind. Mm-hmm. And And part of it was that people had already labeled me as being super mean and terrible and awful. And I couldn't fulfill that, you know, 
I couldn't be super mean and terrible and awful and clap back and go on the attack. I had to just be like, well, haters are going to hate. And here's my, my positive way to move forward on that. What do you um, think that you were perceived as being angry and hateful? Oh, my gosh, because I will call people out all the time. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm not angry and hateful, but I am um, loud. And I will call something out when it's not okay. And I, um, I'm like super comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But some people don't like that. And they think that it's inappropriate or that I should sit down or that we should be more kind or that we should give it time or, you know, um, a number of things. No, I think that it's, this is something that in one way is specific to me because I know that I'm just like, myself. I'm going to be, you know, um, persistent and loud about things. But I also think that any time a woman speaks up or rocks the boat or takes charge, what do we call women who do that? You say that they're bitches or that they're, they're bossy or, you know, there's this whole like thing, you know, little girls who, um, you know, they are vocal about their likes and dislikes. Oh, she's so bossy. Mm-hmm. No, she's not bossy. She's just voicing her opinions, feelings. Mm-hmm. The way boys do. The way that boys do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. There are, um, there's one, there's a, there's a person up here in Fayetteville who he's older than I am. I'm 32. Um, he, he thinks that he has a pretty valuable opinion on things. Mm-hmm. And more than once, he has tried to reel me in and say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You're out of line. We need to have a meeting. Uh, you know, you're, you're such a man hater. You're a femme Nazi, whatever. Like there are always going to be people who feel like if you're a woman who speaks up that you're not on the right track. Right. Um, so that's for what, wanting your own rights, uh, is hateful or hurtful to them because they already have those rights. And that goes back to our conversation about race. Yeah. You know, well, I mean like, like this, I feel like I'm not super radical on things like let's center our local artists. Let's make sure that everyone is invited to the table, make, take action to do that. Let's question whether, you know, certain issues, big and small actually benefit everyone you know like these are pretty basic things that i call into question and work on i just think that change is hard and that some people make it extra hard because it's not something that is comfortable yeah i agree with that or it's they're just it's easier not to change and so they yeah fight it all together yeah yeah i mean like if it's yeah, I mean, if you're able to do something and be the the authority or the person benefiting, like, yeah, of course you don't want to have that situation shift. So you almost tied in the general and lost in the runoff. Yep. How how many were how many ran in the general? There were three um, for our ward. So that's a good showing. It was a good showing. It was within like two or three points. Wow. Yeah, so it was, I mean, a grassroots campaign for the first time. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, oh, for sure. Was there, but um, it also having an extra month 
to campaign again and fundraise again and drag my family through all of the streets of Ward 1 again. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was a lot. So, uh, you know, we got to the to the second election day and definitely did not win. So it's been an interesting, oh, I don't know, six weeks, two months-ish since then. Before we get to that, did you have any kind of relationship with your opponents, the other, the woman who won? Yes, we we knew each other. Um, when so she, there, there was no negativity between you two? Uh, there, I mean, was it, it was still a competition, but was there any, well, I don't know, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, um, I always want to be supportive of other women and... This person had, over the years, we'd had a warm relationship. And then over the last two years, um, we had some differing opinions on what it's appropriate to ask another artist to do for free. Mm -hmm. And maybe some differing opinions on what progress and development look like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what, whose needs we center. But like, it wasn't like, listen, it wasn't like I had, it wasn't like I was running against Jason Rayford or something. Right, right. Um, so, you know, it's like I wanted to win, but I also wanted us all to win. Like you, right. I always want another woman to, to win literally or figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, so. so, so what's happened since then? What has the last couple of weeks been or months been like since then? Well. We had, it was like the runoff and the holidays immediately. Um, so there was a lot of holidaying. There was, um, my little family had been running 90 to nothing since April. So we got to rest and like hibernate um, mm-hmm. and Christmas break or holiday break was the perfect time for that. So after the girls went back to school, um, the beginning of January, I had some time to decide what does my professional future look like? And, you know, we talked about imposter syndrome and having not been an active, like taking on wild projects, sign painter, it had me wondering, like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, so there was, a, there was a minute where I wondered if I should go back to art school or just go. I hadn't gone. There's no going back. If I should go to art school or think about a different profession or if, you know, like what track should I be on? And so I had a little, had a little moment of uncertainty, but I didn't get to have that for long. The runoff was on December 4th. And the next day I had people like, Hey, like, are you ready to come paint this for me? And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah, can you get back to me? <laughs> like, give me a minute. And so I didn't get to have very long existential crisis because I had a gallery show, my first gallery show. Uh, it opens um, actually tomorrow. Um, I had that to prep for. And I had people who were like, hey, please do this cool project for us. And here's some money. <laughs> like, you know, I didn't have a long time to have you know, a weirdo freak out about what am I doing with my life? So 
it has looked like a brief consideration of what I'm doing. And, um, you know, I'm kind of going to be doing what I've always done, which is paint things, improve the urban landscape, through signs and murals, and then just like still be engaged in a big way with my neighbors in South Fayetteville and um, the different issues that impact me or my neighbors. And we have a big bond referendum coming up. So that's something that as we get closer, I'll be talking about a lot and, um, you know, kind of the same stuff, just not campaigning. Would you do it again? Yeah, probably. I think that's um, very possible. It'll, it will depend on what our current, uh, our, our, our other position, what that um, city councilor has cooking here in mm-hmm. 2020. Uh, I don't anticipate any like wild and crazy developments in my life, but that almost guarantees that I'll have one. So right. probably shouldn't have said that out loud. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I mean, you'll know it when you see it. Yeah, fingers crossed. It's not anything crazy. But yeah, I would I would like to consider doing it again at the very least and see if it's a good fit or, you know, like, it's like it sucks losing. I'm not going to even try to Pollyanna that. It sucks. Mm-hmm. It's awful. But also, there are things that I can speak out about and tackle, like, as a citizen in ways that I can't as an elected official. Right. Um, so, you know, the whole point is just to help people and whether I get elected to do that or, or I'm just like Olivia Trimble, artist and sign painter with imposter syndrome. None of your way. Just one title. I, I mean, I need just like one thing. Wonder Woman. Yeah, maybe. That uh, covers it all, right? <laughs> like, maybe just woman. Like, Olivia Trimble. Woman. woman. So, is there anything that you would want, um, any lessons learned, or if, if you were, to anyone listening who is thinking about running, can you think of one or two things that you want them to know that we haven't already discussed? Like, make sure you know how to run a campaign, or, I don't know, anything. Um, Get good with fundraising. Mm. I hate it. Asking people for money is the worst thing ever to yeah. me. Like well, you all had a lot of races up there. Oh my gosh. I know. And of- like, I don't want to ask my friends and like people who I'm trying to like, I don't want to ask anybody for money. Right. So get good with fundraising, some comfortable walking shoes. I tried to limp my Birkenstocks through the whole thing <laughs> and uh, probably should have bought a second a pair. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, so I gave like a TEDx talk about this, but essentially it's going to be scary and that's okay. And you should just do it anyway. Like yeah. that might be a weird thing to say after just talking about all of the less than positive things that happened. But the more well, women that we have running or volunteering with campaigns or speaking at really stuffy city meetings or working on school board stuff, Dr. Whitfield down in Little Rock, mm-hmm. like that's a person to look up to mm-hmm. sitting in the car to take, pick up my kids. She's a person to look up to. Like, you know, it's important to have women involved and engaged at every level. And 
for some people, that means they run. For other people, that means that they take people's kids or they bring someone a bottle of Gatorade when they're out holding their campaign sign. Yeah. Like, Make um, yeah, I mean, I just think that that if there's like a tiny way that a person wants to get involved, if it seems a little bit scary, if you have the ability to, to like just push through that, then I, I always encourage people to do so. Yeah. I, um, and I know that Sheryl Sandberg's book was very controversial. However, <laughs> one thing I really liked was her, where she said they had this sign on the wall at Facebook that said, what were, what would you do today if you weren't afraid? And I just think that that's such an important question to ask ourselves, you know, like whether it's me going and talking in front of the city board or, you know, whatever it is, running for office. I hate fundraising too. I friggin' hate it. And I really only do it when I'm asking for scholarships for other people, you know, to, right. to be able to do a campaign training or something. But you know, if we could just set aside our fear or at least tamp it down or take a beta blocker or whatever, yeah. And or even that's... just to know that like other women who are doing things that you might think you might like say, oh, that's notable. Yeah. Well, they might be scared, too. Yeah. That's OK. Yeah, that's right. And I, and I think what I know we complain a lot about how women treat each other, but I I know that there are so many of us who are only cheering each other on. Right. And if I know you are nervous about something. Damn it! I will show up, and I you just look at me and don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, just yeah. I will help you. I will be there for you. And I just think that there are so many women who feel that way and who are willing to help each other get through. You know, just fight through the fear, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, and it's um, you know, the more that we talk about these things, I hope that it can normalize. You know, it's easier now for me to see a friend at an event or something, and I'll be like, "How are you?" And I'll be like, "Well." I feel like I'm going to vomit because I have to go give this talk. Right. You know, it's a lot easier now to be like, this is how I'm feeling. Instead of being like, oh, everything's fine. Let me just act like I know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, that's dumb. Like, we should all be real with each other. Yes. I am way um, too real. I always dread people asking me how I'm doing because I'm like, ah, ah, do you really want to know? Because I'm going to tell you the truth. Yeah, I know. It's like, ooh, <laughs> be careful what you ask. That's right. You that's might right. find out. <laughs> well, I will I will let you get your kids. In fact, I've got to get back to the office too. Um and I you know, I feel like I know you even though I don't think we've ever met in person, have we? Well, we haven't yet, but we're going to have to no. like I mean, change we that are. around. Yeah, but I feel <laughs> like I know you because of Facebook and because I I watched your TED Talk. I I've been kind of following you from afar and I'm just really impressed with everything that you do and the the energy you put in the world. And even if it's negative, I mean, I, you know, some people call others out when they see a problem. Others don't. They kind of file it away. And I don't know that there's a, a right or wrong way to do things. But, you know, I, I can appreciate um, people who are really just trying to, you know, if it weren't for the Me Too movement, a lot of things wouldn't have happened, right? If we didn't start calling each other out on our isms or whatever the problems are, you know, nothing ever changes unless you start really identifying where we're going wrong. And so, right. you know, you do you, I'm here's Thank to you. you. Thanks um, for keeping up with me and for your support. Yeah, like, definitely. like you've been like a, like a pretty consistent, like person who does not live here, but is supportive from afar. Um, definitely. 
Yeah, you, you got, Northwest Arkansas is full of some badass women. Oh my gosh, we have so many. Like, I mean, it's awesome. Yes. I, if I had the money, I would have a second home and I would just split my time between Little Rock and, and somewhere in Northwest Arkansas. I don't know where, but anyway, um, <sighs> well, we'll keep in touch. I'll let you know next time I'm up yes. there and let's get together. And, Please um, do. I would love to get together. Yeah. yeah. Well, I really appreciate you and I appreciate your time. And oh, thank you um, so much I'll for let, having me. This yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And I'll we'll talk to you soon. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Right, thanks. Bye.